Now, I've told you before uh, that I used to work at Chick-fil-A. And so about once a week, there was a gentleman named Adam. He was a member of Twelve Stone Church, which is a very large church in the Lawrenceville area. And he'd come in every week, and he would give a, out a little card that said, you know, this is a gift uh, from us to you. And then he would ask for us to pay for the meal of the next person in the drive through line. And so I, that always stuck out to me because he would come in regularly every week, and he would want to pay for the next person in the drive through line. And so what would happen predictably was... Almost always, the first several people whose meal was paid for would also choose to pay for the meal behind them. Now, this was a bit risky for the person who was saying, I'll go ahead and pay it forward, because they had no idea whether the meal behind them was going to cost a whole lot more than their meal. But inevitably, you know, it would be four, five, six, sometimes seven, eight, nine cars. And what, was, what happened in that time for us employees was it just it, it restored our faith. In humanity. You know, it's a small gesture, but it reminded us, you know, when we saw somebody choosing to take that risk and to be generous, it inspired us and restored a little bit of our faith in humanity. And, you know, honestly, working at Chick-fil-A did that for me as well. Because when you're part of a company that has good values and they're generous and uh, they're ethical, then they attract not only good employees, I found, but they attract a certain kind of customer. So it's a testimony to being generous and having solid values. Now, we can all think of a time when someone was generous to us. Can you think of a time like that? They gave something to us that we did not earn. And not only did we feel grateful, but we felt inspired to take the next opportunity that we had to be generous as well and to pay it forward. Today, we're going to study a passage in 2 Corinthians, about how one of the Gentile churches, or non-Jewish churches, was moved to take up a collection, and they were moved by the suffering of the Jerusalem church to make a generous financial contribution to help alleviate their hardship. You know, this, but the surprising thing that you'll see today is that the church that took up the collection was actually poor themselves. And they had material lack, and yet there was this generosity that welled up within them, and they went ahead and met that. But as we will learn, it was God's grace that inspired them to this act of grace. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to cover verses 1 through 15. This morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So the scripture says God gave them grace. Another way to say it is that he has given them a gift that they did not earn. So what gift did he give them? Verse 2. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, we don't know specifically what their trial was, but it's likely that they were under persecution. So they had trial, um, they had poverty, but they also had joy in the Lord, joy that's not dependent upon circumstance, and so it welled up into rich generosity. Now this is shocking. You know, these were people that needed help. These were people that struggled to pay bills, that struggled to provide for their daily needs. They needed help. And in this kind of circumstance, what we would expect is that poverty would partner with fear. And that it would result in clutching and clinging and saying, I've only got so much and I need to spend it on myself and my family. Now, what kind of gift, I want you to think about this, would inspire the poor 
to be generous? What kind of gift would move the needy to overlook their own needs and focus on the needs of others who weren't even inside their own church, that weren't even inside their own immediate family? What kind of gift would move them to do that? Verse 3, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. So they gave beyond their ability. Again, these are poor folks. And they pleaded for the privilege of sharing in this service. You know, they were so moved by what God was doing in their lives that they considered it a privilege to share what little they had with those in need. And I know this is grabbing your attention like it grabs mine. It's shocking. Have you ever been in the home of a poor person where you were moved by their generosity? Yeah. Anybody ever been on a mission trip? And, and you've been in the home of somebody who had a lot less than you did? And it was shocking how generous they were. You know, while living overseas, many times we were humbled as a guest of someone who was just struggling to make ends meet. I mean, we've been in so many homes where people had so much less than we did. And yet, inevitably, every time, they would bring us in. They would seat us in their best chair or stool, whatever the case may be. They fed us the best food they had to offer. And in the process, we were always very humbled. We learned so much about both generosity and hospitality from these impoverished people. But you know what's interesting is that I have, been ne I have never been moved to pity by sincere generosity. I've never been moved to pity. When people give with both their heart and their mind, I both respect them and admire them. In other words, they not only felt moved to give, but they knew in their mind what it was going to cost. And they gave anyway. And so I never pity someone like this. Like this. this is not compulsion. This is not contribution out of fear or guilt. It was a gift. And so I didn't pity them, and that's important. But there are people that, that give to earn something, right? They give to earn something that can only be given. And those are the kind of folks that we kind of feel pity for, right? Can you think of someone, a situation where somebody gives to earn love? You've probably known someone like that. Maybe you've been that person. You're giving out of your heart, and you're trying so hard to earn something that can only be given. Now, that kind of person moves our heart. And we feel pity for them. Another kind of person who endures things that should not be endured. They, maybe they endure abuse, trying to earn love. And for that kind of person, we feel a sense of pity. But for these people, these Macedonians, though their conditions are pitiful, they were, it was hard. They, had, they struggled to make ends meet. They struggled to pay bills. They struggled to feed their families. But when we see their generosity, we don't feel pity. And the reason why is they've risen above their circumstances. And they've displayed dignity. Verse 5. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with God's will. It says they did not do as we expected. I mean, what would you expect from people that are struggling? Huh? You would expect them to say, hey, send some help our way. But that's not how they responded. 
And I believe that God's grace is the key to why they exceeded expectations. You know, these were people whose position in society made them largely inconsequential. When you think about the have-nots in society, you know, a lot of times, even in my own heart or even in our own county, we consider the poor just kind of a lump of humanity to be managed, right? We don't consider them unique individuals with inherent worth. I mean, if you, a lot of times politicians, the way that they re, re, refer to these kind of folks, it's just, we just got to manage the poor. But the gospel gives dignity to those society may deem unworthy of dignity. This is a key point. The gospel says that Jesus died for the ungodly. It says that Jesus died for the black, for the white, for the Asian, for the Hispanic, for the Roman, which at that time was scandalous. He also died for the poor. And so these people responded to the message of the gospel that they were so important to God the Father that he sent his only son Jesus to the cross to die for them. So you see these impoverished people who are inconsequential. The local leaders just considered them a lump of humanity to be managed. But the God of heaven, through Jesus Christ, communicated to them that they were worth something. They were worth a lot. That they were worth the life of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And so they're given dignity. And so when presented with the opportunity to bless other believers who live far away. These weren't their neighbors. These are people they'd never even met. They were not reluctant to give. They were eager. Verse 6. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. And so this is kind of the key thought today, and it's the first point on your outline is that generosity is an act of grace. An act of grace has begun in you, he said. Now it needs to be brought to completion. Generosity is an act of grace. In other words, when you see somebody who's generous, more than likely the gift giver at some point was a gift receiver. And how God moves us is He gives us His grace. He forgives us. He gives us something that we did not earn. And we're moved to be generous. And so generosity itself is an act of grace. You know, nothing gets our attention quite like generosity, right? When you think about times in your life when you encounter somebody who's being unusually generous, it moves you. And in this situation with these poor people who are overlooking their own needs and focusing on the needs of others. I don't know about you, but it moves me. And it also convicts me. You know, when someone is given, gives from what is theirs to someone who did not earn it and to whom they are not blood related, this really stands out. But one thing I want to point out is that the receiver is not the only beneficiary of this act of grace. Did you know that when addicts get clean. One of the first things they're encouraged to do, you know, they've been benefiting from a sponsor. They've been benefiting from a program. And one of the first things they're encouraged to do is to go and become a sponsor. Go and give to somebody else. And a lot of times they'll tell you, I have a friend who still continues to be a sponsor. And he does it because it, it's it, in giving he receives so much. 
And he's blessed because he's able to help somebody in the same way that he was helped. So again, the gift receiver becomes the gift giver, and it's an act of grace. But what I want is I want to be awed by extraordinary acts of generosity. I'm just being honest here. I want, I want you to be generous. And I want to cheer for you, and I want to pat you on the back, and I want to celebrate your generosity without actually having to be generous myself. Because when it comes down to it and the rubber meets the road and I have to open up my hands and it has to come out of my pocket, then I find myself struggling like all of us struggle. But what is it that moves someone to be generous? And, and generosity itself is an act of grace. You know, when you see someone who is unusually generous, can you think of somebody? It's like they never miss a chance. And you just think... Are they just independently wealthy? But they're not. And they didn't necessarily start that way. If you ask a generous person, have you always been generous? They'll tell you that they probably didn't start that way. But what, how it did start was it started probably with a very small choice to be generous. A very small choice to give something to somebody who didn't earn it. And then over time, they continued to make generous choices. And then magically one day... They became a generous person. So there's a process involved. Verse 7. He says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Can you imagine what our community would be like? What our region, what our nation, what our world would be like if just the Christians, just the Christians in society would excel in, in this grace of giving. Think about the needs that would be met. Think about the lives that would be changed. Think about how things could be transformed if we would excel in this grace of giving. And then verse 8, this is the part that I love because the Apostle Paul does this in many places, but let me read it to you. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So what Paul is saying is I'm not commanding you I'm pressuring you, right? He does this in many places. He says, hey, hey, I, I'm not trying to put pressure on you, but that's exactly what he's doing. He's I'm comparing your sincerity with the earnestness of others. But what we have to understand about the Apostle Paul is that this was not for his own benefit. This was one of his favorite tactics. He would find creative ways to pressure people, but the key is that this was not for Paul's own benefit. He wasn't lining his pockets, but he was convinced that generosity was the key to both community and the key to spiritual growth. You know, Scripture calls the church a body. Now think about a body that does not care for itself. You know, if I, if I spend a lot of time paying attention to my arms and then ignore my legs, you know, I pay attention to certain body parts and ignore others, then my body is not going to be well cared for. And it's not going to fulfill the purpose for which it was created. Now, it's the same way with the church. If we're not caring for each other and meeting each other's needs and taking good care of each other, then the body of Christ is going to be malnourished. And it's going to be difficult for it to fulfill the purpose for which it was created. So Paul is not commanding us. He's not commanding the Corinthians, but he is pressuring them because he believes it's truly in their best interest. And he actually addressed in 1 Corinthians an issue that they had that I'm going to get to in a few moments. But the point is that 
a body needs to care for itself to be nourished so that it can fulfill the purpose for which it was created. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So this is just such a powerful verse, that Jesus, for our sake, became poor, so we could be rich. So again, Paul lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ as the perfect example of grace expressed through giving. So you've experienced grace. You've received grace. Now God's calling us to be a channel through which grace flows and to be an expression of grace through giving. And Jesus is the perfect example. Finally, just these last few verses. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Again, he's giving them advice because he cares. Last year you were the first not only to give but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. So, also in your outline, God desires two things in his church. He desires two things in his church. First of all, he desires willingness matched by completion. So he's talking to these guys. He's saying God has begun an act of grace in you. Now you need to bring it to completion. So he wants willingness matched by completion. Grace produces willingness, right? When we've experienced God's grace and forgiveness in our lives, our hearts are open. They're open in a very special way. Because can you remember before you were saved, before you became a Christian, before you began following Christ, can you remember how closed your heart was? Can you remember how troubled you were by your sin when you became aware of your sin? And you felt like you needed to close up. You needed to protect yourself. You needed to hide. And then when you came to the foot of the cross and you laid your sins at his feet and Jesus forgave you and freed you and released you, it's like your heart opened for the very first time. And so he's saying this, this willingness that's produced by grace, even eagerness to meet needs. But he says our completion needs to match our willingness in order to, for us to fully experience God's grace. Because when your heart opens just a little bit and you're moved to be involved and then you don't follow through, it begins to close. And if, but if we'll make that first small choice, then our heart can open and open and open. And we can be a full participant, not only in receiving the grace of God, but extending it as well. And as Paul explains in these verses, he says the amount is much less important than the willingness matched by completion. You know, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, when we see God at work, we want to be involved. This is how God moves us to be unusually generous. But what Paul's also saying here is if the amount for you is a barrier when God moves on your heart to give, then lower it. And how low? kind of hard to figure out, but I know in my own heart 
when I feel moved to give and my hands start to do this, then I might need to lower the amount a little bit. And how low do I need to go? Obviously, if you go to zero, then your heart's not going to be opened. But lower it until you get below begrudging. So lower it a little bit and your heart says, and then lower it a little bit more and your heart says, no. And then lower it a little bit more and your heart says, okay, maybe. And then just lower it a little bit more and then, okay. And what's happening is you're taking the first step. God willing the first of many steps toward becoming a generous person. So if the amount is a barrier when God lays it, when God moves your heart to be willing to give, the amount is a barrier, lower it until you get below begrudging. Because I don't believe that God wants you to go into debt to give, right? That'd be silly. And that's not what God's calling. And I don't think he wants you to go broke to give unless you're the rich young ruler that Jesus was talking to, right? And he had a real heart problem and Jesus said, sell all you have and give to the poor. But God doesn't want us to go broke or to go into debt to become generous people. But he wants us to make small, generous choices which will, over time will enable us to become generous People. And this may require us to become slightly less generous to ourselves. You know, if I spend everything I've got, then it's convenient that I don't have anything left to share. But if I'm a little bit less generous to my stomach, maybe, just for an example, then maybe I'll have a little bit to share. The other thing that God wants in addition to willingness matched by completion, because it's not about amount, right? It's about, are, are you willing, are you moved by grace, and are you willing to complete it? And then secondly, he wants balance in the body, and I believe this is the bigger issue. 2 Corinthians 11 is a scathing indictment of this same church that he's addressing now. What was happening in 1 Corinthians 11 was they were coming together to celebrate and remember Jesus, and they did it by having a meal. And what was happening was the wealthy people were coming early and they were feasting and getting drunk all day and just living it up. And then the poor in the church were coming and sitting on the floor and not having anything to eat. And scripture says they were starving. Some of them were literally dying. And so that was an unbalanced body. And so what Paul is saying here is that God wants the body of Christ to be some were coming early and feasting, while some were poor were literally starving while the others feasted. This is a body out of balance, a body whose lack of care for weaker members led to an undersized heart. Can you, can you, isn't that shocking? Can you imagine the coldness in that little church that was willing to have some feasting and others literally starving? An unbalanced body with an undersized heart. So that's what God wants. Willingness matched by completion and balance in the body. And also this phrase, I almost missed it. He says, some gathered, or he said that the goal is that some have not too much and others have not too little. This is a reference to the Old Testament. I mean, he's quoting when they're in the desert and he's talking about manna. Remember that story? When God led them out of Egypt and they're out in the desert and they have nothing to eat, nothing to drink, and they're completely dependent upon God to provide. And every morning they wake up and there's these little bread wafers on the ground. Day after day after day for 40 years, God provides for them in the desert. So there's a double meaning here. Obviously, Paul wants there to be the kind of balance in the church so that everyone has enough, right? Not too much, not too little. Everybody has enough. 
But he's also comparing their present circumstances to a familiar story. Paul wants to remind them that even though times have changed, they are still dependent on God for provision. So he's addressing the haves, and he's addressing the have-nots. And he's saying to the have-nots, trust God, depend on God, he will provide. And he's saying to the haves, hey, you've got plenty, but don't be seduced by your wealth. You're still dependent upon God for provision. And one of the ways that God intends to provide is through these little gatherings of believers we call churches. That was part of his plan of how he would not only give grace, but how he would spread grace. As we studied in Acts chapter 2, one of the things that caught the attention of the people around was the unusual generosity of the church. And it's one of the ways that God intends to share grace and spread grace. So sometimes we receive in the body of Christ, and we have to swallow our pride, right, and say, I don't want help, but I need it. But sometimes we need to give and say, you know, I don't feel like I have a lot extra, but I might have a little bit, and I'll lower it until I'm not begrudging. And then I'll give it. I'll let my willingness be matched by completion. A couple of examples um, of what this looks like, or actually what it doesn't look like. If we went back to trading goods in an open-air market, like everything was a market, and we all went and traded with each other, and everybody was there, the, the buyers and the sellers, and everybody's just trying to take advantage of each other, what do you think would happen? We'd all go home and start growing our own food, right? Say, hey, if, if you're just here to take advantage of me, and I'm here to take advantage of you, then this market is going to kind of dissolve, and we're going to go home and grow our own food. You know, another example is um, a miser who doesn't want to willingly share. Think of like a, a wealthy business owner. He's not looking to share, so he must be grudgingly bribed. You ever seen this happen? Even a salary becomes a carefully calculated payoff to enable the wealthy to become wealthier if the heart is not willing to share. You ever been involved in a business venture like this or had, had a boss where you felt like, I mean, they're just trying to buy your labor as cheaply as possible. You ever seen this? And they're not looking out for you. It's not about wanting to give you a gift. But if your heart is to give a gift to your fellow man, you want to contribute meaningfully to their lives, then it's highly likely that you'll be taken care of in the end. And this is the attitude that Paul is promoting here. The attitude of, let's give gifts. Let's give gifts to each other. So God is calling us to something different. He is calling us to something difficult. I mean, is this hard? Is this going to be hard for you? Is this going to be hard for me? Absolutely. He's calling us to a process that requires both willingness and completion. He's calling us to the grace of giving. And I'm confident that if you ask generous people who give with both their heart and their head, whether they regret being generous, I bet you they'll tell you different versions of the same thing. This is somebody who, who over time has made choice after choice after choice to be generous and their heart has continued to grow and be healthy. They'll tell you, I received a whole lot more than I gave. So what about you and I? Just a few action steps for us in our lives. What act of generosity is God asking you to bring to completion in this season of your life? So step one is to identify a need that God has placed on your heart. Identify a need that God has placed on your heart. 
if it's something regular, if it's a one-off thing, what is it? You know, you know, there's so many things going on in the world right now. There's so many organizations that are doing incredible things, rescuing people that are trafficked, meeting needs, feeding hungry, planting churches. There's, there's ministries in our community that are doing incredible things. What, so what is something that God's placed on your heart and he's moved you by his grace to be willing to consider being generous? So what has he placed on your heart? And then secondly, consider your ability, right? I mean, God doesn't want you to go into debt. I mean, if you're using a credit card to give, then, then we need to have a conversation. God doesn't want you to go into debt to be generous. So consider your ability. And again, if you're, if you're saying, you know, I should give 200 but my heart is not willing, and you've got to dial it down, dial it down, because the point is that you get off the bench and get in the game. Because if everybody gives a little bit, can make a huge difference. So secondly, consider your ability and back up if you're begrudging. And then thirdly, act generously and be blessed. And again, just like the Apostle Paul, I know in my own life, when I, I get on a kind of like a sliding scale and I start to make ungenerous choices and I can feel my hands closing and then I know I've got to make a generous choice to kind of reverse the cycle. And then when I'm in a season where God's opening my heart and I'm generous, I'm, I am happy. I'm much happier. But when I kind of, it happens kind of passively. It's not like I consciously choose to be stingy, but it starts with one little choice and then another choice and then another choice. So I've got to reverse the cycle and move back in the direction of generosity. I'm just letting you know I understand this. This is not easy for me either. But what if we allowed God's grace to inspire us to excel in the grace of giving? What if we would be willing to give what, what they did not earn? Because God gave us what we did not earn. How might God's generosity move us to spread His grace? Because that's how it spreads. You know, God's grace moves us and it moves through us as we express His love to others. Both to people within our own network and to people who don't even live next door. Think of the joy we could experience as we celebrate the willingness, we celebrate the completion, and we celebrate the balance in the body that God is blessing us with. Because that's what he wants. And that's kind of a quick summation, is he wants us all to be willing. He wants us to match that willingness with completion according to our means. And he wants there to be balance in the body. So that there will be ability for us to bless God, thank you for this morning and this opportunity to be in your house and to be encouraged by your word. We're so thankful for, um, not so much for the Macedonians, although it, their example is inspiring, God. But we want to give all the credit and all the praise to you, our Heavenly Father, who so generously and liberally sent his own Son to this earth to die on the cross. For people like, people like us and people like these Macedonians, they were nobodies. Nobody cared about them. Nobody cared if they lived or died. They were inconsequential. They were just a lump of humanity to be managed, and nobody cared. But, but you cared. And you cared enough that you moved the Apostle Paul to go and share the gospel with this church and to share the gospel with these folks. And they were so grateful for the fact that you noticed them, God, that you saw them, that you cared about them, and that you rescued them from their sin, that they wanted to participate. They were moved by what you were doing, and they wanted to be involved. So God, I just pray that each of us will take this message this morning in the way it was intended, as an encouragement, God, as an encouragement to, 
to follow you as an encouragement to take the steps that you're calling us to take and to bring them to completion. It's in Jesus' name I pray.